comes into that space. Uh, and uh, I've heard it said that obviously silence is God's first language. And so by creating space, what you're doing is allowing that, that silence to shape your soul so that you may host the presence of God more generously. But as you host his presence more generously, you will be able to be more present to other people and be a, a, a his love will flow through that. Uh, and so I, I just didn't want to miss the opportunity to actually just encourage you so much in that and say, well done, <laughs> well done. I believe that God's going to use that and bless that. I think he already is. Um, but just know that you've got something really precious here. This is not normal. This, I, I, you know, As I say, I travel around and speak in different churches, and that's a blessing. But it's so wonderful to come and see somewhere where the space is made for God's presence and openness to be shaped by him here. So thank you. Thank you so much. Um, as Lyndon said, I, I'm, I'm going to uh, basically just want to encourage you. It's, uh, again, I want to say a big thank you uh, for choosing my book to be your uh, focus for your life groups. Like That's such a blessing. Um, and I really do hope that that's going to be, be really life-giving for you. And so um, coming this morning, uh, my my intention as I prayed through it is really to uh, to talk about uh, why you would want to do that uh, and hopefully motivate and encourage you uh, in that process. Um, so I have a PowerPoint. I want to say thank you to Jenny for uh, for putting together my PowerPoint. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, so that's just about to come up. Um, and so when you, the book, uh, if you haven't seen it yet, uh, is there actually there in the, in the foyer as you came in. Thank you. Uh, it's called Understanding the Call of God. Uh, it's a book I wrote last year because I realized that quite a few people struggled with this. Uh, and um, so it was something that I felt there would be uh, value in engaging with that journey about what it is to know the call of God. Uh, and so um, when I was praying and thinking about this this week, I was thinking that you know when we think about the call of God, sometimes we're tempted to say, well, Lord, just send me a sign. Uh, you know, that would be wonderful, just send me a sign. But then I started to, to investigate signs and realize that, you know, signs uh, are not always the best thing. I mean, they, you know, you, you can actually receive them in different ways. Uh, like signs can sometimes be... Um, oh, right. Signs can sometimes be off-putting. Yeah, <laughs> not, not the most encouraging sort of thing. They can be off-putting at times. Um, signs, you know, some, sometimes signs can be like even insulting. <laughs> you know, Lord, send me a sign. It's like, well, I don't think I want that sign. Yeah, that's just a little bit insulting. <laughs> Um, sometimes signs can be even uh, confusing. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs> yeah, no dogs smoking ice creams. That's, that's, uh, <laughs> that's just confusing, you know. Uh, 
sometimes science can be um, revealing. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Oh, let's learn something about our prophecy class. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, science not always that helpful. Uh, however, some science should be read. Oh, that one's about hard to read. Yeah, loose gravel. <laughs> yeah, I definitely want to read that sign. Yeah. And uh, the other thing about science, sometimes signs reveal our character. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, science can be helpful, but they're not always that helpful. <laughs> so, oh, wow, it's a little bit hard to see. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, that's better. All right, now, now, oh, that's better. Okay, thank you. Okay, so... Um, the purpose of over the next few minutes really is really what I want to talk to you about is why. You know, if you have not yet decided to, to do the, the study or if you even if you have decided, uh, it's really important to understand why. In fact, this is a, a lesson I learned very early on many, many years ago. Um, I was actually living in this area and I taught at Lifeway College. Uh, this is going a little back, way back. Um, but I always remember I learned a very good lesson from one of my students I was teaching uh, biblical studies at that time, and I think we were about third, the third lecture into the series, or maybe the fourth, uh, and I was in full fling with my great enthusiasm about you know, the Bible and, and, and how do we understand the Bible and how do we do all that sort of great stuff. And in the middle of my lecture, this uh, student looked at me, put his hand up, and he was like, and I was like, yeah, what? You know, expecting some great sort of deep question. And he sort of looked at me and said, why are we doing this? <laughs> and I was like, it, it was like a thunderbolt. You know, we were halfway through the course, <laughs> nearly. And he was like, why are we doing this? And it really taught me an important lesson. And the, the lesson I learned was you need to have the why before the what. Before you begin to give all your great insights or anything, you need to actually answer the question, why are we doing this? What is the point? And so if you have decided, or if you haven't decided yet to participate in the study, you still need to have that question answered, why? Why would I want to spend time uh, looking at and trying to understand the call of God? And so in the next few minutes, really what I want to do is try to answer that question for you guys. So the first um, reason is because whether you or not you understand it uh, or are aware of it, you are on a quest. This is uh, what a guy, uh, Howard Kushner, wrote. He said this, Life is not primarily a quest for pleasure, as Freud believed, or a quest for, quest for power, as Alfred Adler taught, but a quest for meaning. The greatest task for any person is to find meaning in his or her life. So whether we're aware of it or not, we actually are, whether it's in our minds or whether it's really just in our hearts in a quiet way, there is this quest to find 
meaning. And that actually really is a key to our lives. When it comes to the Christian life, uh, people refer to that meaning when they talk about the call of God. And if you look at what a call is, even in the natural, if I'm going to call to somebody, then uh, it is, in a sense, a spoken word. If I want their attention or if I want them to do something, I'm going to have to speak something out. Uh, And so a call is a spoken word. And, of course, if you go back to Genesis right at the beginning of the Bible, you see that the world began with a spoken word. Who who can uh, tell me the the first first verse of the Bible? In the beginning... Okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> right, okay, There's, we have some biblical scholars here, yeah, no, that's good. So that, that is it, in the beginning, uh, well, actually, Genesis 1-3 says, in the beginning the world was formless and empty, and God said, let there be light. So right in that place where there was chaos, where there was not meaning, where there was just this void, God spoke, and in that moment of speaking, light came. And that's a great picture of what it is when we're talking about the call of God. Uh, I think some people there were saying again, John 1, 1, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You know, that is, that's the starting point. That's where, we, uh, where the, when the Word is spoken, becomes a creative energy, or a creative event, uh, which began uh, the world that we now know. And that is true also of your life. If I can just speak to you personally for a moment. Your life also began with a creative event that was a word. God spoke something. And that that word became a creative event, which was you. Now, the, the, the quest that we're on is then to discover that word and to align your life with it. God, what was in your mind and in your mouth when you called me forth into being? So you're not an accident. You're not here just because uh, some people came together and, and, and wanted to start a family. You're not here for, 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 for just because... That's the way life goes. You are here because there was a creative event where God spoke a word and called you forth into being. And that word, when you understand that word, it brings light and it brings order into chaos. So we're on this quest then to discover the word and align your life with it. And as you do that, it begins to bring order out of the chaos. Knowing who you are and what you were created to do are foundational issues of life. Um, a friend of mine, Don Barry, who pastors a gateway church in uh, Hamilton, uh, he wrote the foreword to my book. And if you do read the book, you'll see it's, there's a foreword by Don Barry. Uh, and Don said, there are three requirements required for a fulfilling life. A clear sense of personal identity, 
a deep sense of life's meaning and a strong sense of purpose and mission. I like this next bit. He says, Colin's powerful little book speaks to all three. <laughs> Pat on the head for the author. Um, but that's really what it's about. To, to live lives, to engage with real meaning, these are some of the foundational things that are required. And if you do get to read the book, the first chapter is around the foundations, what foundations we need to have in order to build a life on, on the call of God and the purposes of God. And when you have those things, it focuses your energies uh, so that your life actually becomes focused around that purpose. You see, a great a metaphor of that is, uh, you know, light. If you have light that is diffused, then, then you have a light bulb, like a light bulb will release light and it will light a room. But if you take that same light and you focus it down, then the light bulb becomes a laser and it can cut through iron. So when we allow, if we get to the place where understanding our call, what it was, the word that God spoke, focuses the energies of our life, then that which was diffused, the light that just could light up a room, could actually become focused, and that focused light can cut through things like a laser. It's powerful. Matthew 6, uh, 22, I love this. And, uh, this is in the uh, King James Version. It says this, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, the whole body shall be full of light. In the NIV it says, if your eye be good. But if you look back, the King James says, if your eye be single. It's talking about the focusing of your life. That word single there uh, is a Greek word, hapless, means having an undivided focus. Engaging your life with the call of God may enable you to bring an undivided focus to your life, that your eye would become single so that your whole being becomes full of light. And when that happens, it begins to be able to cut through things and actually bring about a change. In my book, uh, one of the chapters is about the uh, character Martha. Yeah, and Martha has this encounter with Jesus, and Jesus says to him, her this, he says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needful. Yeah, I don't know how many uh, people throughout history have been ministered to those by those words Jesus spoke to Martha, you know? You are worried and upset about many things. Your life is going here and going here and in this direction. Your light is diffused, but you know, only one thing is needed. And if you can come and see that focus come into your life and let your eye be single, then your whole being will be full of light. That's the promise of Jesus. That's the power of a focused life. So that's one reason, perhaps, why you might want to engage in this. The next reason 
is that answering the why questions of life provide you with the inner strength to walk through life's experiences well. Here's another quote. This is from um, yeah. <laughs> It'll come back to me, but I'll, I'll read it to you. Um, any attempt to restore man's inner strength? Okay, so let me give you the context here. So, um, Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl was a uh, psychologist, really, but he was he was a German Jew, and he was taken to Auschwitz uh, in the German concentration camps. And he went through those camps, and he lived. Uh, and he came through and he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. It's a very, very good book. This is a quote from that book. And he said this, Any attempt to restore a man's inner strength in the camp had to first succeed in showing him some future goal. Nitsky's words, The one who has a why to live for can bear with almost any how. And this was worked out in a concentration camp. They understood that if somebody had a future goal, if somebody had a why to live for, they could actually survive anyhow. And that included even the, the, the evil and the terror of the concentration camps. They discovered that that, that was primary. And that is particularly true when it comes to suffering. Every person's life, every person in this room will encounter suffering or has encountered suffering at some time. There's, there's no one here that is exempt. We will all encounter suffering in some degree. And your connection to meaning will determine how you walk through that. This guy, Howard Kushner, wrote this, if there is meaning in life at all, there must be meaning in suffering. And so having that ability to understand your core will change the way that you walk through suffering when it comes into your life. If it is not already there, it probably is in some way. But your connection will call will change the way that you walk through that suffering when Jesus was about to face his greatest trial, going to the cross, Matthew 10, uh, he says this. Oh, sorry, jumped ahead here. Uh, John 12, 27. He said this. And I find this really interesting. He says, now my heart is troubled, which is understandable. He's about to go to the cross. Now my heart is troubled. What shall, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. You see, in the hour of Jesus' greatest suffering, he was able to connect his life to God's reason. And when he did that, it changed his, the confession of his mouth from, Lord, save me from this hour, to, Father, glorify your name. If you're able to connect your life to the meaning of God, when you encounter suffering, the natural thing is, oh God, just save me from this hour. 
But if you are connected to the, the purpose that God has for your life, then it will change your confession from save me from this hour to Lord glorify your name in the midst of the suffering. And that's what it did for Jesus and that's what it does, will do for us if we allow it. So that's the second reason why we would want to perhaps pursue this quest is that we know suffering will come. It probably is already here, but connecting with purpose will change the way that you respond to life and particularly the way you respond to suffering. Oops, I've gone back. The third reason is because living with purpose is a pathway towards the flowering of your humanity. It brings forth your best self. Victor Frankl, back to Victor, he said this, being human always points and is directed to something or someone other than itself. The more one forgets him, him or herself by giving him or herself to a cause to serve or another person to love, the more human he or she is and the more they will actualize their lives. So the, another reason why you would want to engage in this quest is it brings forth your best self. When you discover what it is that God actually has for you to do and you begin to walk in that, you in that process become more human and your best life starts to manifest. So this is another good reason, I think, for actually uh, going after this quest is that it will enable you to understand and focus on what God's call is. And as you begin to do that, you become actualized. You become more human. You become your best self. You might recall Jesus' words in Matthew 10, 39. He says, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So when you find that which you, which you would lay down your life for, when you find that, that, that you know this is why you were put on the earth and you begin to lay down your life for that, Jesus says, when you lay down your life for my cause, for that purpose, then you will find life in its fullest. So this is another reason why we would want to go after this. Not only because there is a quest that, that's for meaning that, that, that is actually built inside of us. Not only because it will change the way that you walk through life and the way that you uh, face difficulties and suffering. But also because as you do that, you will become more human and you will become your best self. I start to feel a bit like a salesman here. <laughs> but wait, there's more. <laughs> Sign up now and no. <laughs> so what, uh, coming to the end here, but another, the, the, the last reason, the reason I wanted to say is, oops, I've done it again. Because your success or failure in your quest matters to others. Now you might look and go, well, what's a picture of Rocky Balboa doing up there? I'll come to that in a minute. But first of all, I just want to answer this. Because your success or failure in the call of God on your life matters to others. It makes a difference 
to others. Again, this Viktor Frankl, he's talking now to two prisoners in the concentration camp, both of whom were con uh, considering, very much considering committing suicide. You can imagine in that environment it would be very, very tempting. And so he's talking with these men who are considering uh, suicide. And he says this, both of whom were both of whom were planning to commit suicide, he wrote, both used the typical argument they had nothing more to expect from life. In both cases, it was a question of getting them to realize that life was still expecting something from them. Something in the future was expected of them. When they got to the point where we go, well, I have nothing more to expect from life. What uh, Viktor Frankl was trying to get them to understand was li that life still expected something from them. That, that there was something in the future that the decisions that they made today mattered and would alter that future if they made a different decision, if they opted out. If God has spoken a word of meaning over your life, then it matters whether or not that word is completed and fulfilled. Those who fail in their duty to, to the present steal from the future. It matters. It matters not only to you, it matters to the future that you actually find and walk and fulfill the call of God on your life. It makes a difference. You see, God can take an unknown person, a person without great skills, and put in their mouth a message that says the little guy can become great when he accepts the challenge to become fully human by sacrificing for others and in doing so, fulfilling a God-ordained plan. And that was the experience of Sylvester Stallone. That's why I put Rocky up there. But I'm going to let him tell you his story through an interview. So we're just going to... Yep. Oh, he's coming. I'll read the statement again. God can take an unknown person without great skills and put in their mouth a message that says the little guy can become great uh, when he accepts a challenge to become fully human and sacrifices himself for others. And in doing that, fulfills a God-ordained plan. Okay. Just now by satellite from New York. And well, it's good to have you with us. Hey, that, that Rocky, first Rocky, was a classic. You guys shot that thing for about 450000 It was a, <laughs> it, it a wonderful piece of work. Thank you. It, it was a, a miracle. It was shot in 28 days, and who, who knew that it would end up, here we are 30 years later. And aren't you a little afraid you're going to damage the franchise or something? Well, what happened, I'll tell you, uh, Pat, is that the first one, the fifth one, or the last one in installment, just, I, I felt as though I left everybody down. It really wasn't about anything. And if you really go back to the first Rocky, people don't realize it's, the first shot is this shot of Christ, and it comes down over the, uh, the beams of the church. It says resurrection, then it goes to Rocky being pummeled. And what I was trying to say is this man has been chosen for a journey. 
He's at the lowest strata of society, and we're watching him eventually find Christian ideals, that he finds love, he starts to bring people together. All these, what I would call society's outcasts, and they all come together for one unified family uh, spirit, and that's how they triumph. Alone, they're not very, very strong. Together, they're invincible. Well, how about this last one? I mean, uh, Rocky well, the last is, one. Yeah, go ahead. Well, the last one exactly is now, after he has all this family core values, his wife has died. So now the wool is, I mean, the rug has been pulled out from under him. He's at his lowest depths. He goes, how, how, can, how can this be? And it was a, it's about pulling yourself up from the doldrums of society and of, of depression and clawing your way back up, finding the light, finding the spirit, moving on. He surrounds himself with old friends, even ex-fighters that read scripture. And then when he goes into the ring, he goes in with a sense of kind of like he's doing God's work. He's, he really is on a mission. Well, you know, the average uh, viewer is going to say, you know, boxing, you're slamming somebody, you know, what, what happened with that Russian, you know, you were giving him everything absolutely <laughs> <really> good. <laughs> How well, is that Christian? Well, because, you know, there is one thing about speaking the word, but eventually you do need the crusader, someone who goes out there and, and, and has to defend it and face evil one-on-one, -on -one, and that's pretty much what Rocky is. And the entire... Rocky series has never been about staunch reality like Raging Bull or other boxing films. It's more of a metaphor about life. And then in the end of, of Rocky, this last one, Rocky Balboa, he basically has come full circle and he just, at the very end, just disappears and, and the entire journey is over. Well, as far as the journey, I understand you personally have had an extraordinary spiritual reawakening. You want to tell us about it? Well, it is. You know, there, there was a time in there uh, where I, you know, I was very strict Catholic, and then when I got to Hollywood, and all of a sudden you're giving the keys to the candy stores, and temptation abounds, and I started to believe my own publicity. No question, I admit it. I, I, I just lost my way. But every time I came back to Rocky, I was given a new shot in the arm, a new reawakening, and then I would abuse it again. And finally, there, it led to about 12 years of I just was spiraling down, and, and finally I said, I got to stop. I have to get back to basics, and I really decided to take things out of my own hands and put it in God's hands, because I always felt I was chosen to do something. I was never a writer. I was never an exemplary student. All of a sudden, one day, I started writing Rocky. I wrote it in three days, and it wins the Oscar, and I cannot assume that I did this all on my own. I really do not believe that for, for a second, and I feel the same thing with the uh, last film that there was a calling, I wanted to do it, and for some reason, I think, Pat, right now, mm -hmm. it's, it's a perfect message for what's going on, right? You know, the world's in upheaval, we don't have uh, certain individuals we can look up to, and Rocky's a humble man who really believes in sacrificing himself for the good of others. Well, I know people don't want to watch it, I would, it opens tomorrow in theater. Thank you. Wow, who knew? You see, God can take someone, an unknown person, without great skills and put in their mouth a message that says a little guy can become great when he accepts a challenge to become human by sacrificing himself for the sake of others. And I haven't watched all the Rocky movies, but I think 
that's really what he's, he's, he's going on about. And he shares his own story there, you know. Uh, he didn't get it all right. He, he admits that himself. He he went down through some bunny trails to find out that they'd discovered that they, they went nowhere. But in the end, after that, he discovered that there was a purpose in the word that God had spoken to him. And that purpose was not to exalt himself as a movie star, but to inspire others that they too could become great. And it wasn't about how clever or or gifted they were. It was about finding God's call and, and walk, walking that through. So I'm going to finish. There's a quote there from J.R.R. Tolkien. When you're talking about going on a quest, you, you have to have something about Lord of the Rings on it. <laughs> but he said this, and he's speaking of Frodo, the, the hobbit. Even the smallest person can change the course of the future. Even the smallest person can change the course of the future. But for Frodo to achieve his quest, he needed the fellowship around him. Now, your, yes, your fellowship is indeed the people around you, you know, the people who you, you relate to, your church family, that is a, a fellowship. But there is a wider fellowship than that. And that is the fellowship that the writer of Hebrews talks about in Hebrews 12 when he says this. He talks about the great cloud of witnesses. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses, those are the people of faith who have gone before and have walked the call of God in their life. And they witness to us. They are the fellowship for, for our quest. And so in the book, you'll find them. You'll look at Abraham's journey, Joseph's journey, Martha, John the Baptist, Barsabbas, a number of the great cloud of witnesses who've gone ahead of us and have walked their journey with call. And as you interact with them, the, the whole purpose is that the Holy Spirit will be speaking to you and forming you in your quest. That you uh, would get clarity as you look to the Lord and say, God, what was the word that you spoke over my life that called me into being? I want to know it. I want to know it. I want to live it. I want to be able to get to the end of my life like Jesus on the cross, not that we want to be on the cross, but I want to be like Jesus who could actually, at the, at the end of it all, look back on his life and say, it is finished. He knew he could do that because he knew what it was God called him to do and he knew he had done it. My goal for myself and my goal for you, or those who read the book, is that they would engage on that quest so that at the end of their life, they too can actually say, it is finished. I knew it. I did it, and I can sign off. So let me pray for you, and I'll then I'll hand back to Lyndon. Father, I thank you <coughs> so much for this church. I thank you, Father, for your presence here. I thank you, God, for the journey that you have them on. Father, for every person, whether they engage with the, the books or not, Lord God, I know that you are shaping them and forming them, Lord God. But I do pray, Lord, that 
as they embark on this journey, Lord God, that you would uh, begin to bring, you who are the spirit of wisdom and revelation, will bring revelation to them that they will begin to understand the word that was spoken over their life that created and brought them into being so that they may understand and align their lives with that. God, in doing that, they would know it's not about our, how great we are, how talented we are, but Lord God, that you are able to, to fulfill that word when we align our lives with you and begin to walk in focused perfect purpose in the fulfillment of that. So God, bless them and bless them in their journey as they walk that through. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.